0: Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Worcester Talking News, brought to you by Worcester News and Equipment Service for the Blind, which includes anyone who has a visual impairment who is unable to read a newspaper. We have the permission of the Worcester News and we're recording on Thursday the 15th of August. I'm Elizabeth Hill and this week's team comprises our engineer Duncan Wynn and round the table with me is Judith Doherty, Janet Goodwin and Sally Rowe and clerical work I think has been done by Sue Childs this week. I think Carol is possibly on holiday. <coughs> May I extend a very warm welcome to any new listeners. We hope you enjoy our offering. You'll hear some emergency telephone numbers What's on in the local theatres? We have the obituaries. However, there will be no thought for the week or birthday greetings because the file in which they are kept has disappeared. So if anyone has a birthday this week, we can only wish you a very happy birthday. We'll have the last week's uh, headlines, the sunrise and sunset times and then stories of interest from the past week. The service is quite free to users. It is a registered charity. If, however, anyone does wish to make a donation, it can be sent to Colin Chance House, Wilds Lane, WYLDS in Worcester, WR51DA. And if anyone has sent a donation recently, we do say a very big thank you. We do like to hear from you. Any suggestions for improvements, any comments or complaints? Add a message in your wallet or leave a message on the answer phone 01905 767766. But please remember, we are not here all of the time. I'm going to hand over now to Janet for some useful telephone numbers.
1: Okay. Here in Wilds Lane, our telephone number is 01905 767766. Worcester Live. O one nine oh five six double one four two seven Morven Theatres O one six eight four eight nine double two double seven Police non emergency one oh one Crime Stopper O eight hundred treble five treble one Worcester Hub O one nine oh five seven six five seven six five Norbury Theatre O one nine oh five Double seven zero one five four, NHS Direct one one one, out of hours medical assistance. That's six pm to eight pm. Zero three zero zero one two double
0: three two double one. Thank you very much, Janet. And now I'm going to ask Sally if she uh, can tell us what's on locally, please.
2: Right, well, starting off in Worcester, um, we're in the middle of the Worcester Festival. There's lots of free events happening in the town, um, in the cathedral and in the hive. Um, Really too many to read all of them out. But if you're interested, um, there is a website www.worcesterfestival.co.uk, which gives a full listing of all those events. Um, Also at the Swan Theatre on Tuesday the 20th is Much Ado About Nothing. That's at 5.30. Festival players are performing that and that cost £18. At the Countess of Huntingdon Hall on Tuesday the 20th, again at 5.30, there is a duo Armand, which is a violin and clarinet duo. Uh, They're doing an hour's music for £10 and also on Thursday the 22nd at 5.30 at the Huntington Hall is another hour of music called entitled Going for an English Song and that is Tenor and Janine Parsons on the Piano. And on Friday the 23rd at 7.30 at Huntington Hall is Keith James uh, performing music from Cat Stevens and that's uh, £15. Pounds. Mm. Then looking across to Malvern, it looks as if Malvern Theatre have got a bit of a a break next week, summer break, but beginning on Tuesday the 27th, running through to Saturday the 31st of August, is a musical, Little Miss Sunshine. It's on its European premiere tour, based on the Oscar-winning film Little Miss Sunshine. Uh, that's on Yeah, Tuesday to Saturday, and I think that's probably a matinee on the Saturday. And then on Thursday the 29th at the um, Malvern Theatre at 7.45, there's just a one-off performance, That'll Be The Day, Classic Gold Hits. So that just sums up what's uh, in store for the next week or two. Thank you, Sally.
0: Um, So, uh, as we've started um, telling you um, about the obituaries at the very end after the final music, I'm going to ask Judith if she'll give us the headlines from the past week. Thank you. you. Uh, Firstly, burglar with breast cancer jailed.
3: Police use CCTV to snare sneak-in burglar. Amazing son, Ross. Ross. Patient gets £17,500 over botched tooth op. Father's shock as man exposes himself at nature reserve. And finally, sex pest broke his leg during police escape. And the sunrise. Sunrise now is 5.52am. And sunset, getting earlier, now 8:34
0: p.m. Winter is coming. All right. So I think you have the first headline story, Judith. Thank you. Thank you. A burglar was diagnosed with breast cancer
3: and begged mercy, but was told she will have to get her urgent medical treatment behind bars in prison. Samantha Skip, who was involved in a pickaxe burglary, with her career criminal boyfriend at a family home in Worcester and stole a purse from a volunteer at the city's hospital, was jailed for two years at the Worcester Crown Court. The 38-year-old's barrister had pleaded with the judge to spare her an immediate jail sentence, telling the court she may need a double mastectomy and certainly surgery and radiotherapy. Nick Berry Defending said... Skip was terribly vulnerable and had been the victim of abuse and cuckooing when a dealer set up his business in someone's home. However, Judge Robert Jukes QC said only in highly exceptional cases could the court be persuaded to pass a non-custodial sentence and this was not such a case. Skip, previously of Meal Cheapen Street, but who had been homeless, was involved in a burglary in the city's Newtown Road with her boyfriend, Michael Repton, on May the 11th this year, when the householders were disturbed by the sound of breaking glass. Repton, 33, of no fixed abode, was jailed for three years for three burglaries, handling stolen goods, three frauds, possession of a controlled drug of Class A, heroin, and possession of a controlled article use in a fraud Mark Davis prosecuting said the householders were disturbed at 2.30am and came downstairs shouting who's there they could hear more than one person and heard footsteps on the broken glass they noticed keys from the house later recovered had been stolen the damage to the glass in the porch cost £200 to repair both Skip and Rep- Were arrested a short distance from the house. The wooden pickaxe handle, believed to have been used to smash the glass, was found in a bush at the bottom of the garden. Skip stole a purse containing forty five pounds from the handbag of a volunteer from behind her desk at Worcestershire Royal Hospital in Worcester on May the 8th. Mr. Davis said Skip had been at the hospital suffering from a suspected overdose had been treated but discharged herself against medical advice. It was obvious to the volunteer that Skip was unwell or under the influence of something and sat her down. When the volunteer returned, she noticed her bag had been interfered with and her purse removed. The defendant on bail at the time had been observed crawling under the desk and later bought herself a coffee from the hospital's café. However, she was challenged and arrested. On June 13th, she attempted to steal two bottles of alcohol from Morrisons in Worcester and gave a false name to police. On June 19th into June 20th, in Swinyard Road, Malvern, she interfered with two vehicles and stole a purse containing £5 from the door pocket. One of the owners said it seemed that someone had been sleeping in their car. Nick Berry, defending, said she left previous council accommodation following a breakdown after being violently abused by her then-partner, who had cuckooed the property to run a drugs operation. Mr Berry described her current partner, Repton, as a professional career criminal, and said Skip had now been diagnosed with breast cancer and required urgent surgery and radiotherapy. He told the judge she required a mastectomy of the right breast but was awaiting the result of a test which may mean she needs a double mastectomy, referring to her medical circumstances as so desperately serious. Her past is just appalling to listen to, said Mr Berry. He asked the judge to draw back from opposing an immediate custodial sentence and allow her to receive this urgent medical treatment not in a prison cell. Judge Dukes said medical treatment was available to people in prison and told Skip she represented a very poor risk for a non-custodial sentence and that such a sentence would be understandably subject to criticism from those who have suffered as a result of dishonesty and it's not even likely it would pay off. Although the starting point was three years for the burglary, the judge gave Skip credit for her guilty plea and reduced the sentence to two years. He told her he did not accept for a minute that she didn't know what was happening during the burglary, but did accept that she fell under the influence of a very much more experienced criminal. The total sentence was two years in prison with concurrent jail terms for all other
1: matters. Police have charged a thief with four sneak-in burglaries in Worcester after using CCTV and bank card records to catch the suspect. Officers arrested 20-year-old Jacob Telford at 11pm on Wednesday, August 7th on suspicion of a burglary in Arboretum Court which happened between 3.40pm and 4.25pm the previous day. The victim was at home at the time and the offender climbed into the address and stole a wallet containing bank cards which were subsequently used in shops around Worcester including at the commandery service station in Bath Road the same afternoon. Staff at the service station gave the victim a CCTV image of the suspect which was forwarded to police who subsequently arrested Telford of Maple Avenue in Worcester. Following this, Officers within Proactive CID Worcester, who focus on burglaries and drug supply, highlighted another three crimes where the offender sneaked in through an open window or insecure door, which they believed may be connected to the Arboretum Court crime. The first was a burglary at the Great Western Hotel in Shrub Hill Road between 5.30pm and 7.30pm on July 24th where a man entered a room via an insecure door and stole items, including an iPad and mobile phone. The offender was caught on CCTV, leaving the premises, and police identified him as Telford. On July 31st, a flat in Fish Street, Worcester, was burgled between 2am and 5am. The suspect sneaked in through an open window and stole a purse and bank cards, while the victim was at home. The stolen cards were used at around 5 a.m. at the Texaco garage in Castle Street. There was CCTV footage of the suspect and police identified him as Telford. Another burglary in Sansom Mews between midnight and 4 a.m. on August 5th saw the offender sneak in through an open window and steal items, including a PlayStation and controllers, one of which was bright blue. Inquiries within Worcester showed that Telford had allegedly taken the blue container, controller to sell it fast cash in the shambles, and it was recovered and confirmed as the stolen item. Telford was charged with four burglaries, three counts of fraud relating to the use and attempted use of stolen bank cards and the theft of £30 worth of baby formula milk powder from the cost-cutter shop in Rose Avenue, Wandon, at 8pm on July the 16th, after he was identified by staff. He appeared at Kidderminster Magistrates Court, where the, he admitted the burglary at the Great Western Hotel, the three counts of fraud and the theft from cost-cutter. However, Telford denied committing the burglaries in Fish Street, Sansom Mews and Arboretum Court and is now due to stand trial for those charges on September 10th at Worcester Crown Court. He was bailed until that date. Detective Sergeant Grant Fraser said, The charges in regards to Mr Telford are a result of hard work from various departments and the hard work will continue up until the trial. The charges relating to Mr Telford will go a long way to protecting the public from further harm. Regardless of the recent hot weather, I would still advise members of the public to be mindful in regards to insecure doors and windows, even if they are at home. Criminals will look to exploit any opportunity to break in and steal people's personal belongings and will have little concern for the time of day or night if that opportunity presents itself.
2: When he was born three months prematurely, doctors gave Ross Anderson just a 1% chance of survival. But he has now celebrated his 18th birthday. Mandy Anderson gave birth to Ross just 28 weeks into her pregnancy and her son weighed just two pounds, the same as a bag of sugar. He was not expected to live. But on Sunday, 54-year-old Mandy, who lives with Ross in Highland Road, was able to celebrate his 18th birthday with him. She said, it's a real achievement that Ross has got this far. We are incredibly proud of him. He is an amazing son. I'm always terribly emotional on his birthday, especially this year as it's his 18th. Every birthday I'm relieved that we've got through another year. I'm so proud of what a strong person he has become. He's faced so many challenges. He is the best thing that's ever happened to me. He's my world and I can't imagine life without him. Ross, a former Tudor Grange Academy pupil, added... I will now look forward to having a few beers legally. The birthday celebrations took place at Bluebell Farm, followed by a card and game night at home. Ross is an avid WWE wrestling fan and enjoyed spending the rest of the night watching the SummerSlam event with his friends on TV. The family are also hosting a birthday party at the Gun Tavern on Friday the 16th of August. Ross said the first thing he wants to do to mark adulthood is get his first tattoo tattoo. A yin and yang symbol above his wrist. At the age of eleven, Ross was diagnosed with a muscle wasting condition, a myotonic dystrophy, which causes him to suffer weakness in the legs, struggle to swallow, and have difficulty moving. He can also sleep between twelve to fourteen hours a day due to excessive tiredness. Mandy said, "It comes with a host of problems. It can change on a day-to-day basis. No day is ever the same for Ross. It can be challenging." but we are so lucky to have him with us. Ross attends Mencap once a week, which helps develop his confidence and enables him to find jobs to suit his needs. He's started volunteering at Mag's Clothing Project in the tithing and says he's passionate about supporting the homeless community, adding, They're less fortunate than me, so I want to make a difference. People always come to me with their problems and I like to help others. Ross says he has the best mum in the world and has also got a good circle of friends. I'd like to thank Mitchell, Alex and Dan, Dane who have always been there for me and understand me. Ross has been in a relationship with his girlfriend Isabel for a year and a half, who he says he hopes to marry someday. A patient has been
3: awarded £17,500 in compensation after he was left curled up in agony following a botched operation by a Worcester dentist. Kenneth Taylor was left with permanent numbness to his lip, chin and gun after suffering nerve damage during the procedure. The 57-year-old also suffered from excruciating pain and damage to the dental bridge which had to be replaced. The sales director was left struggling to eat and sleep properly Losing a stone in weight as a result of the ordeal. Mr. Taylor was a patient of Dr. Peter Ostrogonax. I'm sorry, this is a very difficult name. Ostrogonax, I think. Um, (laughs) At Oasis Dental Care in Worcester, now called Bupa Dental Care, between September 2011 and February 2017. At an appointment in September 2016, they agreed that one of his wisdom teeth needed to be removed because it was at a funny angle. But when Mr Taylor returned to see Dr Ostrogonas in November 2016 to have the tooth extracted, things started to go wrong. The attempted extraction procedure itself was terrible, Mr Taylor said. It must have gone on for at least 40 minutes. I just sat there with my eyes shut and tried not to think about what was happening. Then I suddenly heard a loud crack, which was alarming. But Dr. Oxtroganats said it was just a crown that had previously been fitted on my tooth and that there was nothing to worry about. Dr. Ostrogonath said he could not complete the extraction and that Mr. Taylor would need to see a specialist. He said, I remember feeling a bit confused as to why he'd attempted the extraction in the first place, but there wasn't anything I could do. My mouth was also numb from the anaesthetic Dr. Ostrogonath had used, but the dentist assured me it would wear off. Then on my walk home, excruciating pain began to kick in. I've rarely been overcome by pain, but when I got home I ended up in a ball and on my floor. I shut myself in my bedroom with the curtains closed, trying to get over the pain. I couldn't eat or sleep then. To make matters worse, I thought that the anaesthetic hadn't worn off because my chin and gum were still numb. Mr Taylor went back to see the dentist to complain about the pain and numbness. He just told me what I was experiencing was normal and nothing to worry about, Mr Taylor said. He prescribed antibiotics and said the pain and numbness would soon subside. But a week later, there was still no improvement, so I was referred to hospital. Another dentist provided a herbal remedy which helped control the pain and got him through Christmas, but numbness remained. When he returned to hospital for a follow-up appointment in January 2017, he was told the roots of his tooth needed to be surgically extracted and that Dr Ostrogonas attempted extraction and had caused permanent nerve damage. Mr Taylor said, I have found myself dribbling without realising and often biting my lip. I'll just have to learn to live with it. But to think that it's all because of Dr. Ostrogonas and he wasn't doing his job properly and it's soul-destroying. Mr. Taylor contacted the Dental Law Partnership in May 2017 to begin legal proceedings. Analysis of his dental records revealed that Dr. Ostrogonas had failed to use reasonable skill and care when attempting to extract his tooth. The dentist should have referred Mr. Taylor to a specialised oral surgeon instead. I now have to live with this nerve damage he caused for the rest of my life, said Mr. Taylor. Heather Owen of the Dental Law Partnership said, The lifelong damage our client has been caused was completely unnecessary. The case was successfully settled in 2019 when the dentist paid £17,500 in an out-of-court settlement in June this year. The dentist did not admit liability. A spokesman for Bupa Dental Care said, ''We put our customers at the heart of everything we do and providing high-quality dental treatment is our number one priority.'' We always endeavour to work with our clinicians and patients to look into and resolve any complaints or concerns. Bupa acquired this practice in early 2017 and
1: therefore cannot comment on the specifics in this case. A dad says he and his five-year-old son were left in shock after allegedly catching a man exposing and, and touching himself at a nature reserve. During a day out with his family, dad of three, Andy, who did not wish to give his full name, came across the man at Trenchwood Nature Reserve before calling the police. The 33-year-old and his young son had gone off the main footpath away from his wife and other children, aged 12 and 2, before happening upon the man. He said, I was in shock at what this bloke was doing. Andy, from near Worcester, said he and his family regularly visit the nature reserve near Sail Green to go walking with the alleged incident having taken place on July 21st. He said they'd been there around an hour when at about 4.30pm it happened and having called the police, a man was quickly detained and arrested. "'We were walking back to the entrance. "'Me and my lad had gone one way "'and the others had gone the other way on the path. "'We'd gone off on the path,' he explained. "'The man wasn't expecting to see us. "'He had his back to us. "'We approached and as he was spinning round, "'I was right next to him. "'I sent my lad running down the path "'and I shouted to my wife. "'Andy said he called the police immediately "'and waited around until they arrived.' He said his wife was distressed by the incident, but it would not stop the family from visiting the reserve in future. On subsequent visits, he said every time they approach the same area, his son says, that's where that man was. Asked if he was worried that it may have had a negative psychological impact on his son, and he said, hopefully not, but we will see. He said he and his wife used to allow his children to play hide-and-seek amongst the trees at the reserve, but that won't happen again because of him. The dad added that while he now worries about letting his wife take the children there alone, we're not going to stop going. We can't let it bother us. A spokesman for the reserve said that they are very disappointed to hear of the alleged incident and our sympathies go to the family concerned. Michael Smith appeared in Kidderminster Magistrates Court on July 23rd but denied a charge of outraging public decency. The 27-year-old of Ancadine Hill, Nightwick, is due for trial at Worcester Magistrates Court on September the 13th. And the next story may
0: offend some listeners, so just beware. A convicted sex offender broke his leg and collarbone when he jumped off a balcony to escape police following a string of alleged sexual attacks a court heard. Paul Sowerby, known as Geordie, appeared in the witness box at Worcester Crown Court to deny five sexual assaults against the same woman, claiming it was her who who had come on to him and at one stage offering to take a lie detector test right now, to prove his innocence. The five counts are said by the prosecution to involve Sarby touching the alleged victim's backside, grinding his groin against her, kissing her, forcing his tongue into her mouth and pushing her against a wall in January this year. Some of the attacks were said to have been witnessed by the complainant's daughter, who described him touching her mum's bottom. The 57-year-old father of Dent Close who had previous convictions for indecently assaulting a male inmate in prison and escaping lawful custody, claims the alleged assaults never happened. He told the jury the female complainant sexually assaulted him and had asked him where she could get crack cocaine, to which he replied, I don't touch that rubbish. In interview, Saabi said, I want to make a counter-allegation. That girl sexually assaulted me. She kissed me on the cheek before I pushed her away. I have got a beautiful girlfriend. Why would I want a crackhead? Police arrived to arrest Saabi at First Floor Flat in Dent Close at 6.20pm on February 8th this year. A police officer said in a statement that he knocked on the door several times and shouted, Police! but was met with no response. When he looked through the letterbox, he could see the lights were on and could smell food that was either cooking or had recently been cooked. The defendant's 22-year-old partner, Elizabeth Millington, answered the door and the officer could hear the sound of a male screaming after he tried to leave the property by jumping from the first-floor balcony. The male identified as Sourby, <clears throat> was taken to Worcestershire Royal Hospital where checks revealed he had suffered a broken leg and collarbone. The six-feet, three-inches plasterer appeared in the witness box where he said he had fallen off the balcony trying to see who was at the door and told the jury at no time did the police identify themselves. If they had, he said he would have answered the door. He also said he had £2,000 in the flat and there was a lot of people on the estate operating as bogus cops, he claims. When examined by his barrister, Chloe Ashley, he said of the allegations made by the complainant, what she has said in this courtroom is disgusting. He added, I would not do do them sort of things to that woman. Saby also said the alleged victim wasn't my type. Timothy Sapwell, prosecuting, said Saby had changed his story since his police interview. But the defendant said he had been high on drugs from the hospital and had been coughing up blood during the interview. However, Mr Sapwell said there was no issue with Saby's fitness to be interviewed. "'You tried to escape because you knew you had done wrong,' said Mr Sapwell. "'I categorically deny that,' said Sarby, who insisted he had nothing to hide. "'Mr Sapwell put it to the defendant that he had tried to paint a picture of the complainant "'as some kind of drug-crazed nymphomaniac. "'That's simply not true, is it?' said Mr Sapwell. "'Saby replied that the complainant had glazed eyes and was coming on to him.' drug fueled people will tell you any lies, he said. Mr Sapwell described the defendant's previous convictions, including uh, escaping lawful custody in 1996 and indecent assault in 2003, drawing the jury's attention to similarities between the indecent assault and the sexual assaults for which he is now on trial. Sab is... Other previous convictions, which date back to February 1980, were also put before the jury. They include burglary, theft, obtaining property by deception, possession of an offensive weapon, obstructing a constable in the execution of his duties, and criminal damage. Saabi told the jury, I've changed my ways. That was the old me. He also denied the indecent assault in prison, of which he stands convicted, telling the jury they believed his version over my version. He said, I will take a polygraph test. I will take it right now. Mr. Sapwell said, you have offended again the same way you did in 2003. Saby replied, absolutely not. I've changed my life around. Earlier in the morning, a male witness said he found the alleged victim shaken, claiming Saabi had pinned her in the corner. She told him Saabi tried to kiss her, kiss her and grabbed her backside, which left her feeling shaking and sickened. And cross examination, the witness said he had not seen or heard either of the alleged assaults, and he had to take her word. The trial continues, so no doubt you'll hear another instalment next week. <laughs> and that finishes... <laughs> the headline stories and so i'll ask judith to start with the rest of the news thank you you.
3: plans to carry out much needed refurbishments to the city's public tennis courts have moved a step closer worcester city council has submitted a planning application looking for permission to carry out a number of refurbishments to tennis courts in cripplegate park as well as install floodlights The work has been made possible through £215,000 of grants and loans by the Lawn Tennis Association, the LTA. Money for the improvements would also come from £50,000 County Council highway compensation put aside as part of the damage caused by the new road flood alleviation work and £50,000 of the city's Council's own money. The City Council wants to encourage more people to play tennis and hopes to do so by installing floodlights for the Cripplegate Park tennis courts to allow them to stay light until 9pm. The Council would install 12 of the 12 metre floodlights around the courts if the plans are approved. The floodlights would only be turned on if the court was in use. The council has already said it would be introducing hourly rates to use the new and improved courts. Tennis lovers would be charged £7 an hour to rent the new courts, children would be charged £5 an hour and various concessionary rates would also be offered. The courts would be free from 4pm to 8pm on weekdays and between 10am and 5pm on weekends. Around 18 hours of free sessions are also likely to be held throughout the year. To get the LTA grant and loan money, the City Council must find an operator which would then set up a pay-to-play charge to cover the cost of loan repayments and maintenance costs. In line with requirements set out by the LTA, the operator would have to offer concessionary rates and free coaching sessions to encourage the city to take part. The grant bid by Worcester Tennis Networks, which is made up of local tennis groups and organisations who want to see more tennis played in the city, was accepted by the LTA in December last year. The money means improvements can be made to courts in the two city parks as well as facilities at Worcester Sixth Form College and RGS. The money would also pay for a central booking system which would allow tennis players to book courts across the city from one place and give the council a chance to measure how many people are using the courts. A new BAT survey was carried out in Cripplegate Park in May after earlier surveys found bat roosts may be affected by light spill from the proposed floodlights. Consultation on the plan ends on September the 7th. The plans can be viewed via the planning section of the Council's website. The application number is
1: 19-00540-capitalsful. A murder suspect in the killing of a pensioner and the man said to have helped the alleged killer will face trial after pleading not guilty. Adam Mason denied the murder of Desmond Wooding while Mark Mason denied assisting an offender when they appeared at Worcester Crown Court. Adam Mason of Plough Lane, Tibetan, which stands accused of the murder of the 80-year-old said to have taken place on June 23rd this year. The pensioner's body was found at his home in Vines Lane the following day. Mark Mason, 55, of Plough Lane, Tibetan, stands accused of assisting an offender. The charge, read out in full by the clerk, alleges that Mark Mason conveyed conveyed Adam Mason away from the scene of the offence in his motor vehicle with intent to impede the apprehension or prosecution of Adam Mason, a person who had committed an arrestable offence of murder, knowing or believing him to be guilty of the offence or some other arrestable offence. Previously, we reported how Mr Wooding died as a result of a brutal stabbing Mr Wooding was referred to as the great-uncle of Adam Mason at the last hearing before the Crown Court. On June 25th, police released a CCTV image of a man seen in the area at that time, with an appeal for anyone who recognised him to get in touch. Mr Wooding was well known for riding his mobility scooter around Droitwich, At the hearing yesterday, Jason Aris for Adam Mason said that there was to be an application to extend legal aid for the instruction of a silk, David Mason QC, although he would not be available until the first week in May next year. Abigail Nixon for Mark Mason said she was not available to represent her client until the beginning of April. The prosecution was represented by Tarek Shakur, who said the Crown Prosecution Service aimed to appoint Jonas Hankin QC. Judge Robert Jux QC said he was reluctant to put the case back that far and adjourned the trial until December 9th this year. However, another hearing will take place on Friday, September 6th this year. Adam Mason was remanded in custody. Mark Mason was granted bail on condition he remains resident at his address and has no contact with a named witness and his co-accused, Adam Mason.
2: King's School headmaster Matthew Armstrong has died suddenly, aged just 48. A statement from the King's School Worcester said, it is with profound sadness that we announce the death of our inspirational headmaster Matthew Armstrong. Matthew passed away suddenly on Sunday morning after he suffered a pulmonary embolism. Hugh Carslake, Chairman of Governors, described Mr Armstrong as exceptional. We will pay tribute to Matthew's exceptional contribution to the vibrancy and success of the Foundation and its community in due course, said Mr Carslake. In the meantime, our thoughts and prayers are with his wife, Kate, his parents and family. Matthew's visionary leadership has left the school in a strong position and the Governors are confident that Mr John Ricketts, the current senior deputy and acting headmaster, will take the school forward, building on Matthew's legacy. Further announcements will be made as details of arrangements are put in place. Please be assured that we will do all we can to support the school community during this difficult time. Mr Ricketts, acting headmaster, added that Mr Armstrong was well respected by everyone at King's. The whole school community has been deeply shocked and saddened by this tragic news. Matthew was a passionate and visionary headmaster and was well respected by pupils, parents and colleagues. We are all working to support each other, the wider King's community and Matthew's family through this sad time. A book of condolences will be available in the senior school reception from tomorrow and we would welcome any thoughts or messages to be shared there. A spokesman for Worcester Cathedral said, The Dean and chapter of Worcester Cathedral are deeply shocked and saddened to learn of Matthew's sudden death. He was not only an outstanding head, but he and Kate have been active members of the cathedral community and strongly supportive of the cathedral choir. Matthew served as a member of the Cathedral Council. Our thoughts and prayers are with Kate, with Matthew's family and with the whole school community. Mr Armstrong had been headmaster at the King's School for five years. He joined from Charterhouse School, where he was assistant headmaster for ten years. Before that, he taught at Winchester College, having previously worked for McKinsey & Co., In November 2018, the King's School was announced in the Sunday Times Parent Power Survey as one of the top 150 performing independent secondary schools in the country, ranking 124th and receiving 7th place in the West Midlands Top 20.
0: Well, we don't very often read uh, letters from the letters to the editor page, but I thought this one might be worthy of a couple of minutes' worth of our time. It's entitled These Are Idiotic Days, and it goes like this. The age of the idiot is here. It's true. Just think about it. Don't go in the water. It's dangerous. They do. Don't drive too fast in the fog. They do. Don't drive across the Ford. It's flooded. They do. Don't eat too much and not exercise. They do. Don't let your dogs bark all day long. They do. And at night too. Don't throw your rubbish down in the street. They do. Don't leave your wheelie bins out to block the path. They do. Don't feed the gulls. They do. Don't keep on revving your motorbike. It's annoying. They do. Don't drink too much and finish up an A&E. They do. Don't get violent over silly, pathetic things. They do. Don't drive too close behind another vehicle. They do. Don't let your dogs foul the pavements and fields. They do. How much more proof do we need? The age of the idiot is here, and unfortunately, they are thriving. That's from a Michael Upton.
3: Alex Milton hopes his recent fine form with the bat will bolster his chances of being part of the Worcestershire team, first team, during the finale to the Spec Savers County Championship Division two season. After scoring two hundreds for the seconds, the wicket keeper hit the splendid 74 against Australia at Blackfinch New Road on the second day. It was the perfect way to mark Milton's first senior outing of 2019 after he made seven championship appearances last summer, scoring a century on his debut against Somerset at the county's headquarters. He batted with great composure and discipline in adding 88 with Charlie Morris, 53 not out, and an unbroken 38 with Adam Finch, 18 not out, for the final two wickets. Milton said, I didn't start the season as well as I would like to with the bat, and that was probably my downfall in terms of not playing any first-team cricket. With that, I could understand why I haven't been playing. But I'm coming into a little bit of form... And I'm enjoying batting, knowing what works for me. I will just keep working away, knocking on the door with performances and see where we are. Whether that is with the gloves or without the gloves, I'd just be happy to play in the ones. This opportunity came up and I wanted to do well. I wanted to put my name in the hat for the first team again and I'm happy with how it went. But I've just got to keep working hard, keep scoring runs and if I do that, hopefully I will get the chance again with the first team. Milton relished the opportunity to do battle with the likes of Pace duo Mitchell, Mitchell Stark and Josh Hazelwood. It was nice to get the experience, see what it was like at the top level and I just enjoyed being out there. I enjoyed the experience and the partnership with MOZA, Milton said. The heart was going at some points, but it was more about enjoying the opportunity and embracing what was happening out there. It was great to get a few
1: against an Australian attack. Stryker... Jack Jays is relieved to have finally broken the taboo of mental health issues that blighted his pre-season with Worcester City. The 24-year-old hotshot revealed the problems had been behind his absence in the build-up to a first campaign with City. Birmingham-based Jays has been around a number of clubs in recent seasons and admitted he had hidden his troubles, something others saw as a weakness. But having shared his story with the top brass at City and gained unflinching support, he now wants to focus on football to to aid his recovery. I have been diagnosed with a few mental health issues and ASH – Vincent, manager, and Marion, Walters, assistant manager, have both been working with me very closely off the pitch, says Jays. They have been in touch near enough every day to help get me mentally ready for football, as well as being there as friends. They both know how much football means to me, and the support has been great. I'm feeling a lot better in myself on the back of the past two games and getting goals. You couldn't talk about it even five years ago. I think it was more of an embarrassment. People didn't really want to talk about these things or own up to something others saw as a weakness. To be honest, I've kept it quiet for quite a few years. Football has not always been an environment you want to open up yourself in. But things have changed, particularly in non-league. The support you get on and off the pitch from fans, management, players and coaches is unbelievable and hats off to Worcester. I have had non-stop support from the word go. Jays hit the ground running despite missing the bulk of pre-season, notching twice from the bench to give City hope in a 4-3 defeat at Newark flow serve. I was surprised to get called up to the quad to be on, squad, to be honest, added Jays. Ash rang me the night before to ask how I felt and whether I wanted to be involved as he had had a late dropout. I got to come on and just thought, I'm going to hit this when the free kick came about. The second time, the drop dropped nicely and luckily they both went in, having gained more minutes from the bench in the 1-0 win over South Normington Athletic on Wednesday, Jays now has his sights set on FA Cup glory against stone-old Alenians tomorrow at 3pm. It's a big one for the club and the lads, said Jays, ahead of the extra-preliminary round tie. We had a talk about it after Wednesday's game on the back of the grinding out a good win. We want more now and keep winning. Yes, it's the FA Cup but our thinking is that it is just another game we want to win to build momentum, and a run in the cup would be nice.
2: Worcester Warriors Life President Cecil Duckworth led the tributes to former Operations Director Mike Robbins, who has died after a brave battle against cancer. Robbins, known as Scoop from his days reporting on his first 15 matches, played for Worcester as an enthusiastic back row forward in the fourths and fifths in the amateur a- era. He also established the mini and junior section before the club moved to six ways from Bevery in the early 1970s and was a key figure in the transition from amateur to professional status in the mid-1990s. Mike did a very good job in managing various ground projects, said Duckworth. He knew all the officers from the amateur club and accepted that there had to be a different approach when the game went professional. In his playing days, when players weren't paid for playing, players helped out in all sorts of jobs around the club. That ceased when the players started to be paid, but Mike handled the transition very well and he continued to support the club. He then became operations director and he organised boxing tournaments more or less single-handed in the outdoor centre which were both very popular and also made quite a contribution to our coffers. When former director of rugby Phil Maynard arrived at Sixways in the early 1990s Worcester were a Midlands 2 club but more rapid progress through the leagues made rapid progress through the league, leagues on-field progress was matched by off-field developments at Six Ways, with Robbins a pivotal figure in the construction of the West Stand and the -the state-of-the-art indoor training centre, which transformed the ground. Having served Warriors in a voluntary capacity, Robbins moved into a paid role with the club, which coincided with Warriors winning promotion to what is now the Gallagher Premiership for the first time. Mike was chairman when I first joined Worcester and was a great help and support to me, said Maynard. He called everyone Ern, which was another endearing feature. When I asked him why, that, that he said why that, he said I call everyone Ern because these days I can't remember names. <laughs> Mike became a good friend and was a good bloke. When we had it hard on the pitch, he would put his arm round you and have a beer with you. He was on task all the time when we started developing the ground, and as we grew he grew with it. He was a key figure in all the developments in the early stages. One thing he never did was to lose sight of what Worcester was about. Robbins died aged 73 after battling against cancer. His elder brother Dave, 77, said he put in a lot of sterling work with Worcester Rugby Club when they went into the Championship, into the Premiership. He was a special brother. He will be sadly missed. And round off the sports slot... Thousands of pounds worth
0: of flat-screen televisions have been stolen in a burglary at Worcester Racecourse. A spokesman for the Pitchcroft-based racecourse has called the crime disappointing and led to the decision not to replace them to prevent a repeat. The door of an enclosure, used as a bar and restaurant on race days, was kicked in to gain entry overnight into the early hours of Monday morning, August 12th. Padlocks to eight televisions around 54 inches that were fixed on walls were cut through, with the screens then stolen. The spokesman said nothing else of value was on the site at the time and nothing else taken in the burglary. It is a shame. We won't replace them now, the spokesman said. We are reviewing security at the course, but this is unusual. We can't remember anything like this happening before. We are just extremely disappointed. The spokesman added that police investigating the crime had been at them and taken fingerprints in an effort to catch the thieves. Cameras, Worcester Beer, Cider and Perry Festival were staged at the site over the weekend with the large tent dismantled on Monday after the break-in happened. A West Mercia police spokesman has not confirmed if any arrests have so far been made in the days since the break-in. At the moment, inquiries are ongoing into this incident, the spokesman said. Anyone with any information is asked to call police on 101 quoting two, 0236S or Crime Stoppers Anonymously on 0800 The incident is the second time local sports venues have been hit by burglars. In June last year, two large flat-screen televisions worth £1,497, as well as cash from tills worth £1,300, and a public address system costing £1,000, were stolen from Worcester Warriors Six Ways Stadium.
3: This year's space themed beer festival proved to be out of this world as thousands braved the wet and windy weather. It was a milestone for Cameras Worcester Beer Cider and Perry Festival at Worcester Racecourse, which marked its twentieth year. This year's festival theme was the fiftieth anniversary of the moon landing, and some of the beers on offer were well suited to the anniversary, as the crowds took both small steps and occasionally giant leaps towards their beer or cider of choice, savouring ales from across Britain, but also from local brewers like Malvern Hills, Pershaw and Team Valley, based in Nightwick. There were a number of space-related titles on offer, such as Moonraker, Dark Side of the Moose, Hold Man on the Moon and Cosmos. Organiser Ben Smith, 29, said around 19,000 pints had been drunk and he expected around 8,500 people to attend during the course of the festival. He said, It's been highly successful and we've had a positive reception from public. We have had thunderstorms, rain showers a range of weather over the past few days but we have still had people coming in constantly we had people queuing on Thursday an hour before we opened the committee adapted to the unseasonable weather by selling tickets at the entrance which helped keep the numbers up in total the festival sold 303 varieties of beer and 170 ciders with gin also growing in popularity. The winner of the best festival beer was New Bristol, with its cinder toffee stout, described as liquidised crunchy bars in a stout. By the time the winner had been announced, it had already sold out. Entertainment was provided by Worcester Ukulele Club, Swamp Candy... Humdrum Express, Skew Whiff and Come Together, to name
1: but a few. Multiple items of rubbish have been fly-tipped at the side of a rural lane, leaving councillors and residents appalled. An estimated 30 bags containing what appears to be household rubbish is shown in photographs taken of Hulls Lane in Droitwich. Droitwich Town Councillor Bob Brooks said, This is absolutely appalling as to how someone could do this. I urge anyone with information to contact the police. Dumping of waste in this way is often done so an individual or company can avoid paying a commercial disposal charge. On the spotted Droitwich Facebook group, member Alison Starling called the activity shocking while Chris Powell branded the person responsible as scum. Wendy Carter of Worcestershire Wildlife Trust said, Fly tipping is not only as unpleasant to see, but it is also dangerous for our environment and wildlife. Whether it attracts animals that then get trapped or whether it's toxic chemicals that harm our environment is far from a harmless crime. As we're becoming more aware of the problems that plastic is causing to our oceans, rivers and to ourselves, it's disappointing that people are still illegally disposing of their rubbish in our countryside. Sharon Caswell, Client Services Manager at Witchhaven District Council said, we have received a report of fly tipping on Hulls Lane in Droitwich. The rubbish will be checked for evidence before it is removed. Fly-tipping is a blight on our beautiful district, which is dangerous and costs the taxpayer money to clean up. Residents can play their part in helping to reduce fly-tipping by ensuring that they use a registered waste carrier to dispose of their waste. Failure to do so could result in prosecution if their rubbish is later fly-tipped, even if they were not the ones responsible. We would urge people to report fly tipping to our website www.wichhaven.gov.uk forward slash fly tipping with as much information as possible.
2: A popular landlady is celebrating running a pub for 30 years. Judy Allen, 72, runs the mug house in the grounds of the Clanes Church. Mrs. Allen said, I absolutely love it and can't imagine not being here. It's such a beautiful little place and it attracts really nice people. We are actually on cons- consecrated ground. It's one of only two pubs on a church. People feel like they belong when they come here. Everyone makes friends with everyone. It's lovely living in this part of Clanes. I employ people now that were breastfed in the garden here. Mrs. Allen added, we have really young and old people. I think the oldest customer was 105 the mug house is around 700 years old and was once the church ale house. It's, Mrs. Allen said, it's like going back in time. We've still got outside toilets. It's a little bit of history. On her third decade stint as landlady at the beloved pub, Mrs. Allen added, it's really strange that it's been 30 years. It's a long time. There's a lot that has gone on. It's an achievement to run a pub for 30 years because it just doesn't happen now. People take on pubs and I say, don't do it. People plough all their money into it and it doesn't work out. Pubs have changed so much. 30 years ago, people used to look forward to having lock-ins. That doesn't happen now. Now people have to go home early because they got work the next morning. We're still a little drinking pub, but we can do 50 meals in a day. And we still have the funerals, christenings and weddings. Mrs Allen is originally from Birmingham, but took on the pub in 1989 with her son. Russell. I couldn't do it without him, she added. The pub threw a party last month to celebrate Mrs Allen's 30th anniversary as landlady with around 250 people in attendance and live music. Last year, to celebrate the centenary of the end of the First World War, Mrs Allen handmade 70 poppies and raised £350 for the Royal British Legion. She said that running the pub has been particularly interesting because she believes the place is haunted. But that's a story for another time.
0: <laughs> An 98-year-old war veteran has finally received his medals after more than 70 years. Colin Palmer received his 1939-45 star, the France and Germany star, the Defence Medal and War Medal at a ceremony held at Worcester Guild Hall. Presented by Deputy Lord Lieutenant Major General Mark Armstrong. Mr Palmer was also awarded the Legion d'honneur, d'honneur by the Honorary French Consul, Consul Yes Robert Mille, which is the highest French military and civil award. As part of the Joining Forces programme, representatives of Age UK, Herefordshire and Worcestershire met with Mr Palmer in a bid to help him claim his medals, which he didn't receive after the war. Mr Palmer said, It feels nice to finally get my medals. It's better late than never. It's been a very special day. Mr Palmer had previously declined the medals as he was suffering from post-traumatic stress. He served as a private soldier in the British Army from 1941 until 46. His role was as a motorcycle messenger attached to a West Yorkshire tank regiment. Following the breakout of Allied forces from Normandy in August 1944, he served throughout the rest of the Western European campaign. In October 1944, he suffered burn injuries and was sent back to England for treatment. Once recovered, he returned to his motorcycle unit. In April 1945, during the advance into Germany towards Hamburg, he was an eyewitness to the liberation of the Bergen-Belsen concentration camp. He subsequently helped in evacuating the survivors for medical treatment. In May, he observed the surrender of German forces in the west on Heath. He was in training for the invasion of Japan when the dropping of atomic bombs on the cities of Nagasaki and Hiroshima precipitated Japan's surrender. Following the end of the war, one of his tasks was to transport refugees and ex-prisoners of war to what is now Kaliningrad, East Prussia, far inside the Soviet zone. Mr Palmer, accompanied by daughter Jane, took part in the recent national D-Day commemoration events. The pair travelled on SS Budaseer to Normandy on the Royal British Legion organised trip. Ms Palmer said, My dad didn't talk about the war for 50 years. He always had nightmares and he still has post-traumatic shock. Kevin Greenway from Age UK said, Colin is a remarkable man. And a living part of history, we were saddened to hear he did not have any of his medals from that time. So, with family agreement, we applied for unsecured Colin's Second World War campaign me- medals. Colin truly deserves these awards.
3: A uh, 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 row has broken out after West Mercia Police and Crime Commissioner
0: John Campion.
3: Won his High Court case to take over governance of fire services in the region. Mr Campion has written a letter to Councillor Roger Phillips, Chairman of the Herefordshire and Worcestershire Fire Authority, in which he says, Having had time to fully digest the judges' remarks, I hope you will recognise that they are robust and unequivocal. I am concerned that in spite of the clear and ambiguous ruling of a High Court judge, your remarks in subsequent media coverage suggest your authority still seem intent on continuing to divert tens of thousands of pounds in public money away from front-line fire services to fight the Government on this issue. The fire authority should now be transparent with the public as to how much money intended for fire services has now been spent on this legal challenge and how much more is budgeted, set aside or otherwise authorised for challenging the transition to single governance. In response to letter, Councillor Phillips said, Contrary to the viewpoint expressed by the police and crime commissioner, The judge actually agreed with the arguments put by the fire authorities and decided the then Home Secretary had used the wrong test when considering the economy, efficiency and effectiveness of the PCC's business case. This vindicates our decision to bring a legal challenge in the first place. Despite that, however, the judge felt that the Home Secretary would still have come to the same decision even if they had applied the correct law and so he refused to grant our judicial review. But the Home Office lawyers had not argued that point during the hearing and so we think the judge was wrong to make that decision. We are therefore applying for leave to appeal. As regards the PCC's claim that the fire authorities are wasting public money, CIPFA, the independent accountants who are appointed by the government to review the PCC's business case, concluded that the savings projected by the PCC were significantly overstated. The Home Office, in their own analysis, said the business case was neutral, so far as any savings were concerned. CIPFA also said that the efficiencies identified in the PCC's business case could all be achieved without changing the governance of the Fire and Rescue Service. In the view of the fire authorities and their four constituent local authorities, therefore, a change of governance to the PCC is unnecessary. I have consistently told the Police and Crime Commissioner for over two years that he should seek support for his takeover of the fire services at the ballot box in the PCC elections in May 2020. That is the proper way to get a mandate. In respect to the legal costs, these have yet to be settled and the Fire Authority will happily publish the costs when they are finalised. Andrew Scattergood, West Midlands Regional Secretary of the Fire Brigade Union, said... It's dangerously misleading for the PCC to suggest that he can cut £4 million from existing budgets without affecting emergency cover. Control room staff are firefighters and are trained to provide vital fire survival guidance calls. Scrapping their posts or merging with policing services is simply not safe. Firefighters provide a humanitarian service which often allows access to areas of the community that the police sometimes struggle to engage with. We cannot do that unless it's clear that we are not the police. We're not going to cave in on this. We'll keep fighting until this hostile takeover stops. This is a serious matter of public safety.
1: Visitors will be able to take a step back in time and discover what life was like during the Middle Ages in one of Worcester's oldest buildings. The medieval celebrations at the Commandery will take place on Sunday, August 25th and Monday, August 26th. There will be two fun filled days of activity, including a living history camp with amicorum reenactors, a demonstration of a traditional medieval gun, and traditional crafts, which will be held in the Grade 1 listed building that dates back to the 11th century. Visitors can meet medieval characters such as knights, archers and traders, while also being able to try their own hand at archery and learn about the guns used in a firing demonstration. There will also be the chance to see how the popular Sidbury Museum's historic beautiful buildings housed medieval monks and miracles, as well as learn about the history behind the building through interesting talks about the monastic hospital. There will also be magnificent, breathtaking artefacts to view, including the medieval painted chamber, a room filled with beautiful monastic wall paintings of saints and martyrs with some amazing archaeology on display. Robin Rooney from the Commandery said, We are lucky to have nearly a thousand years of stories to tell at the Commandery and our bank holiday weekend will be an exciting time to step back in time to the earliest period of this building's amazing history. We have a brilliant variety of activities happening over the bank holiday from archery to talks so the celebrations will capture the imagination of children and adults alike. The events are planned to run from 10am to 5pm each day. Throughout the summer holidays, families are also welcome to explore more of the Commandery and its gardens with the new Explorer backpacks that can be hired from the museum's shop. For more details, call 01905 361 821 or visit museumworcestershire.org.uk.
2: And now something slightly different, uh, the crime files, Worcestershire's infamous cases. Um, To those who lived in Malvern Link in the early 1900s, Arthur Devereux was a popular local dentist, easy with the chat and ever ready to solve their painful problems as best he could. In fact, Arthur was good like that because he also ran a chemist shop and could knock up a soothing potion at the drop of a hat. Devereux also had a home for a while in Middle Street in Worcester's Arboretum District, where he similarly impressed the neighbours. Aged 34, he was remembered as a flash operator with an engaging personality, which he used to great effect, wheedling his way into society circles way beyond his own humble station in life. But behind his respectable Edwardian gent facade and seemingly impeccable credentials, the reality was the self-styled Yankee millionaire was little more than a sly, smooth-talking conman and shyster and was as good as bankrupt. And he became a murderer too, featuring in one of the most shocking crimes of the era. A macabre affair, the national press was to report under the banner headlines, the Tin Trunk Tragedy. It was particularly tragic since it involved the death of a mother and her crippled twin sons who were only two years old. The chain of events began in March 1905 with news of the discovery of the bodies in a tin trunk at a furniture remover's depository not far from Wormwood Scrubs Prison in West London. A local police sergeant prized open the trunk at the request of Mrs Ellen Gregory, who had heard nothing from her 30-year-old daughter Beatrice Maud and two rickety grandsons Evelyn and Lawrence, or, for that matter, her son-in-law Arthur, since the middle of January. The family had moved from Worcester to London two years before and Mrs Gregory had gone round to their rented house in Milton Avenue, Halston, only to find it empty and the furniture allegedly sold. A neighbour had seen it carted away by a removals firm called Bannisters and that was where the grisly find was made. The ledger said the trunk contained chemicals and books. According to the local divisional police Surgeon, assisted by the Home Office pathologist, Professor Pepper, the three deaths had been caused by a volatile, quick-acting poison. None of the bodies showed any outward sign of physical violence. Top of the suspect list was Beatrice Maud's chemist husband, Arthur Devereux, who, as well as being father of the twins, was also father to another boy, fit, healthy, and his father's favourite, Stanley, aged six was living away at a kenilworth boarding school in fact devereaux had returned to the midlands himself and was found in lodgings at coventry arrested and taken back to london for questioning the trunk containing the bodies of his wife and twin sons had been very professionally strapped padlocked screwed down and hermetically sealed with fungi depressing boric acid glue to prevent giveaway de- decomposition the police surgeon said it could have existed for years without revealing any signs of its grisly content. Under intense questioning, Devroe claimed his wife had been morbidly depressed and had murdered the boys using poisons from his chemical stock before killing herself. He had put their bodies in the tin trunk before doing a runner in fear of being implicated in the triple murder. All along, he claimed to be entirely innocent of the crime without which he protested to know nothing. The reality was that three weeks before he'd murdered them, he had successfully applied for a chemist's assistant job in Coventry and had no plans to take his wife and their sickly sons. That he'd put his status as widower on his application letter was just one more damning element of the murder case rapidly being built up against him. At his day-long trial at the Old Bailey in the end of July 1905, he pleaded not guilty putting the blame entirely on Beatrice and fully expecting to get away with it. The jury took ten minutes to disagree. The weight of evidence was too great and the sentence was death by hanging. During the statutory three weeks between sentencing and execution, DeVereux's only real concern seemed to be for the future of his son Stanley and during that period he also jotted down a list of the addresses he'd lived at since 1898 including Middle Street, Worcester and Richmond Road in Malvern Link. Arthur Devereux went to the gallows, seemingly resigned to his fate, although still restive about his remaining son's welfare at, Pen- at Pentonville Prison on August fifteenth, nineteen 1905, and was executed without incident by Henry Pierpoint and his assistant John Ellis. This is extracted from Bob Blanford's up-and-coming book Worcestershire Bird, telling the stories of jail- Worcester Jail its inmates and their lives and crimes due for publication at the end of the year. Thank you, Sally, for that preview of
0: uh, Bob Blanford's book. <laughs> My goodness me. Uh, now, a little bit about wildlife. Families have got the chance to go wild during the summer holidays. Worcestershire Wildlife Trust is running a series of Wild on Wednesdays activities to help children and their parents explore the wonders of the natural world. Bug hunting and seed bomb making takes place at Droitwich Community Woods in Umbersley Way on August the 21st. The team will have hay to spread that is rich in wildflower seeds, And families are invited to create a nectar-rich patch of wildflowers to benefit local wildlife. Squeeze out the last bit of summer holiday fun with woodland fun at Lower Smite Farm on August 28th. With games, nature craft, den building, marshmallow toasting, pond dipping and more. All activities take place between 11am and 2pm and are free to attend and no booking is necessary. For more information, visit www.worcswildlifetrust.co.uk forward slash whats hyphen on.
3: And some more entertainment for this summer.
0: Mm.
3: Crash Bang Wallop and Plenty of Fizz. Worcester Festival once again launched down the slipway with the promise that this year's Summer of Fun would be the best yet. Festival director Chris Yeager is a man with a mission to provide more than two weeks of entertainment for the citizens of not not just the faithful city, but also the entire county. Guests and civic dignitaries who attended the Champagne launch event last weekend were greeted at the Henry Sandon Hall by the beautiful folk music of Worcester's Orchard Band, which provided the perfect ambience for the evening's proceedings. Judging by the festival programme, no one will go short, and while there will be no firework finale this year, the massive savings have ensured the spare cash has further boosted an already packed events list. This year sees a record-breaking 504 events 54 different venues, 44 organisations taking part, 337 free events and 54 top-class events costing £5 or less. Jaeger said, The decision not to have fireworks has not been taken lightly, but we believe that this is the right time for a change, one that will allow us to move the festival forward in a really positive way. Money can instead be spent on a whole host of exciting things that everybody can enjoy. More free street theatre, workshops, more free events all round and even some free concerts this year. There's live music, exhibitions, workshops, historical attractions, face painting, tours of Worcester Cathedral, summer multi-sports activities, talks at the Commandery, wildlife photography exhibitions, these are just a few. Jaeger added, the Worcester Festival is not a music festival, nor indeed an arts festival, but just a festival. The festival is for the people of Worcester and Worcestershire and surrounds.
1: A journalist and comedian has become the first honorary patron of Droitwich Arts Network, Dan Tristan Harris, editor of the Droitwich and Bromsgrove Standards, is set to play a key role in prom- promoting and supporting a string of arts-based community events and activities. Dan oversees a packed programme, including an art exhibition at Hanbury Hall earlier this year and an upcoming display of male art in Droitwich Library. The network also delivered Droitwich Arts Festival in 2017 and 2018 and will organise next year's festival. Helen Karakashian, chairman of Dan, said she was delighted. Mr Harris accepted the invitation to be patron. Tristan has had poetry and short stories published in anthologies, written songs and plays, edited in a literary magazine, and presented on hospital and community radio, she said.
2: Councillor Richard Morris has called on West Midlands Railway to negotiate a better outcome than planned parking charges at Droitwich Railway Station. Passengers will have to pay to use the facility that currently has 45 spaces from Sunday, August eighteenth, in an area that already suffers from commuters parking in residential areas. WMR had planned to introduce a daily charge of £4.50 at Droitwich and eight other sites, but reduced that to £3. Car park season tickets will start at one pound twelve pence per day. I am disappointed by the charges. I know the issues many residents around the station face with commuters parking in the area, said Councillor Morris, Deputy Leader of Whichhaven District Council. My concern is that those issues will be exacerbated. I fully understand people need to use the trains, but I would like to see a better pricing system. I welcome the reduction in many respects. £3 per day does not seem too bad. It would be a good price in most cities. It is just the location close to where people can park for nothing. It is not a matter of the charging. It is more about looking at it strategically to try to find an overall solution. It is an old part of the town with terraced housing that has some off-road parking, but not for every house. Other residents cannot park outside their homes if they go out during the day. We need to find a balance. We want commuters and the trains to be used. I would like to see the various stakeholders sat around a table to try to get a better outcome to see how we can use space for car parking near the station in a better way. Spokesman Francis Thomas said... WMR would be open to a collaboration, but defended the proposals, highlighting plans to invest in CCTV and lighting to improve car parks where charges will be introduced. We have been consulting extensively with councils at all stations where the charges are coming in, said Mr Thomas. That's one of the reasons we brought in much lower charges than originally anticipated, to make it more affordable.
0: Chief Executive Nicola Trigg is adamant Worcestershire FA remains on course to bring football back to Claines Lane by the end of September. The County Association had planning permission granted by Worcester City Council for a 3G pitch, floodlights and new changing and office facilities in December 2018. Work had been due to start in May in order to be completed by the end of next month. The deadline for the highest ranked tenants, Worcester Raiders, to have floodlights operational by, but notable signs of progress were absent until last week. The plans meant Raiders had to start their first season in the West Midlands Regional League Premier Division with a run of away matches, but Trigg said she has no reason to believe that will be extended. Work started back in February and there are parts being done all the time. Some may be obvious, others may not be. Our commitment to get the stand and lights completed by the end of September are on schedule. They are signed off and ordered. No one has told me it's not on track. The procurement for the whole project is so complex and can change or get confirmed at different stages. But it is tracking as expected. All the checks we can do have been done. The 3G pitch, which was the subject of a non material planning amendment to shift the perimeter by four yards, does not affect Raiders. There is less time pressure on the other elements, with Worcestershire FA set to vacate its current offices in Hampton Lovett, Droitwich, in December, and Raiders officials set to put in place temporary facilities while building work is completed. Trigg added, we are minimising the time scales because we don't want to be in transit. I'm not committing to a certain date. Some of it is not within our control, but a lot is. If everything ties in with what contractors say, then we will track on time. Some stuff will be arrive early, some will be late. So it would be foolhardy to commit absolutely to a date. If we're not there, we'll still be fully operational And it will be as seamless as it can realistically be. I cannot see there being a drop in service level. We will always plan for the unexpected. When asked about pre planning conditions, Trigg said they were being managed by an employer's agent on Worcestershire FA's behalf. There are always queries, but I have not been made aware of any showstoppers, she added. And so that seems to be the last article for this week. Mm. Time has run out on us. So it just remains for me, Elizabeth Hill, to thank the team round the table, Judith Doherty, Janet Goodwin and Sally Rowe. And of course our engineer, Duncan Goodwin. Um, Duncan and Judith, I guess, are always also going to do mm. the copying. I will just remind you that... If you want to listen to this week's obituaries, they will follow the music. So at the end of the music, keep tuned in. Have a good week. Signing off. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And the obituaries which have appeared this week, um, and beginning with... Uh, funerals which will have already taken place. Gordon campbell Neal, who passed away on July 16th, his funeral will have taken place on Friday, August the 16th and was family flowers only. Inquiries to EJ Gummery & Son, 6870 Ombersley Road, Worcester, WR37EU, telephone 01905 22094. William Bowen James, formerly of Worcester, passed away July 26th. His funeral service will have also taken place on the 16th. Family flowers only, but donations for the RNLI can be sent to AV Band, 41 St Nicholas Street, Worcester, WR11UW. Funeral still to take place. Peter Jones, who passed away July 27th. Funeral service on Monday, August the nineteenth at Worcester Crematorium at one PM. Family flowers only and donations for Midlands Air Ambulance welcome. At Peter's request, bright colours to be worn. Do you want to get do you want to get off? Do you want to get up? Right. Right. Bye. Elsie Ganderson passed away peacefully at Redhill Care home on july twenty-seventh. Um Her funeral will also be on Monday the 19th of August at Worcester Crematorium at 1.45pm. Donations for Alzheimer's Society can be left uh, in the collection box or sent to the Co-op Funeral Care, telephone 01905 22137. David Hales passed away July 27th. Committal service at Worcester Crematorium Tuesday, August 20th at 11.30am, followed by a service of thanksgiving at St Wollstone's Church, Warndon, WR49PA. Donations, if desired, for St Richard's Hospice can be left at the plate or sent to E.J. Gummery & Son. Carl Lawrence Smith of Horford passed away July 28th. Funeral service at Wife Forest Crematorium, uh, August 20th at 3.30pm. Donations for hemochromatosis. Sorry, I'll say that again. Hemochromatosis UK may be left on the collection plate or sent to EJ Gummery & Son. Details as before, smart casual dress by request. Vera Christine Hale passed away July twenty fifth. 5th Funeral Service at Worcester Crematorium, August the 20th at 2 30 pm. Donations for St. Richard's Hospice can be sent to F.W. Spilsbury, Funeral Director, 12 Upper Housel Road, Malvern, Worcester WR 14 1 TL. Robert Wood, known as Bob, ex Royal Mail, passed away July 28th, age 68. Funeral service, Worcester Crematorium, Wednesday, August 21st at 11.30am. Donations if desired for St Richard's Hospice or the COPD community team. Checks made payable to Worcestershire Acute Hospitals Charity. can be left at the crematorium or sent to EJ. Gummery and Sunday tells us before. Request for please wear blue and white. Heather Mavis Massey passed away on August the 6th. Funeral service at St Peter's Church, Martley, Wednesday, August 21st at 2pm, followed by interment in the churchyard. Uh, Donations, if desired, for guide dogs uh, can be left at the service. um, And any flowers may be sent to Cooperative Funeral Care. Details as before. Roger John Morris passed away August the 5th. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium Thursday, August 22nd at 1pm. Donations, if desired, for St Richard's Hospice and Worcester Breast Unit can be left on the collection plate or sent to E.J. Gumry & Son. John Wadley, former teacher at Christopher Whitehead, sadly died on August 2nd. Service to celebrate his life will be held at Worcester Crematorium on Friday, August the 23rd at 10.45am. No black, please, but a touch of blue. Donations, if desired, for St Richard's Hospice, can be left in the collection box or at www.justgiving.com forward slash fundraisings forward slash john hyphen wadley. And finally, Roy Knight, who was one of our listeners, passed away on August the 2nd. Um, he uh, also worked at uh, Archdale's Metal Castings and Metal Box. His funeral service will be at Worcester Crematorium on Friday, August the 23rd at 1.45pm. Inquiries to Jackson Family Funerals 01905 616 two. And uh, we do uh, send our uh, thoughts and prayers to Roy's family and all of those who have lost loved ones recently.